Amen. Amen. If you take your Bibles and open to Philemon, and as I've said in recent weeks, you can turn to the table of contents and then turn to Philemon, right? It's one of those that you can't just thumb to and be there. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week to our mission celebration, to the Give to Go offering. It is a big deal in the life of our church. And, uh, and y'all have, have uh, just blessed the missions ministry for sure in your giving and your going. And we look forward to next week and celebrating that. But today we will finish up our sermon series called Everyday Faith. Everyday faith. And if you have not been with us the last couple of weeks, I'll give you sort of an overview of what we studied for. This is just a one-letter book of the Bible. It takes up one page in, in my Bible. And uh, it has to do with, with three people. The Apostle Paul, its author, Philemon, and Onesimus. Uh, as we've said uh, before, we covered the Apostle Paul last week, who's sort of the mediator between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon, is a, uh, Philemon is, is a righteous man. The Bible calls him have, as having a reputation of Christian, Christianity. And also there is Onesimus who, who belonged to Philemon. He was a runaway slave, and we're going to cover that in depth today, the issue of, or the social issue of slavery. But he ran away from Philemon. He had an obligation to him. He ran away from him, likely stole from him. And then he goes to Rome. He meets the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul leads him to the Lord, and things begin to change. Amen. Because the gospel changes everything. And so once he hears and believes the good news, his life begins to change. And then Paul begins to put the pieces back together between the relationship of Philemon and Onesimus. The scripture says in verse 11, Onesimus hasn't been much of use of you to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Philemon, I know that Onesimus has, has likely wronged you. Now, there's some parts of this we don't know, but we're reading into the context. And Paul is saying to him, I know that before he, he didn't do you a whole lot of good. And he's left and, and left you to hang out high and dry. But, but I'm telling you now, while he hasn't been much used of you before, he is now useful to both of us. Paul is writing that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of God's work in his heart, that he is transitioning from useless to useful. And that's really what happens in the life of all of us who have believed. Paul acknowledged to Philemon that the servant hasn't lived up to his name. Now, we're not given the whole backstory, but for Paul to say that he hasn't been of much use before, well, he honestly should have simply been useful to Philemon because he was in a servant's position. Like his whole life was dedicated to that. And once again, we will deal with the issue of slavery in just a little bit, but focus on his position as a servant in the household of Philemon. It was his whole purpose to be useful, and he was useless. He hasn't been much use to you. It sounds like he was lazy and selfish and a troublemaker. It sounds like Onesimus, before he met the Lord, was one in all relationships that he took from instead of giving to he had a job, but he didn't want to work. He held a position of service, but he didn't want to serve. Can't you just hear the criticisms that are spoken over Onesimus, that, that are said about him? Because again, what his name means, Onesimus, the actual name means useful. That's what his name literally means. Can, so you can hear the jokes that are being said of him as he's left and taken things and run off. There are guys that are saying, useful, huh? It's more like useless is what you are. 
In fact, the writing that you see before you is actually Paul kind of making a dad joke. Seriously, he, he's, he's like, I know he wasn't much use to you in the past, but now he's useful. Like, that's what he's saying. Like, he's sort of making a play on words. So, so uh, and I thought this, and I asked Brittany, I was like, I'll tell this one, and it'll be good. And she's like, no, it won't. Don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, it's kind of like, instead of Onesimus, Onesiminus, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a dad joke. I'm not funny. I'm just telling you to, to because it's, that's what Paul's doing. He, he is not fulfilling his name. He is useless to the one he is supposed to be the most useful towards. I know you said I shouldn't have told it, and I went ahead with it anyway. <laughs> it's all about how you deliver it. For, so, so for just a point of preaching here, is it possible that what keeps you from better relationships in your life is because the ones you already have, you're just taking from them. You're not giving anything to it. You're just, all, all that you are known for within your relationships is a taker. You are pulling your own way. You want what you want. You are unwilling to relent, unwilling to be in a relationship. And the difference in Onesimus' relationship with Paul and the relationship with Philemon was that in one, he took from one, and in the other, he served the other. See, once God got a hold of his heart, and he began to serve there with Paul, he began to serve Paul. God began to change him away from himself once he believed the good news that Jesus saves. Once he recognized that he was a sinner and the greatest need in his life is that he needed to be open up to the Lord God Almighty and that he could through Jesus. Everything else began to change about him. God literally changed his status and his name from useless to useful. He fulfilled what he was supposed to be. If this is you, I would encourage you today to think about this. You need a change of heart. If you are ruining relationships, let's just be honest about it. If you are driving a wedge in relationships, if you find more and more people starting to distance themselves from you, it could be because you are selfishly taking from the relationship when God has called us to be selfless and to serve. You need a change. You need a change of heart, and the only one that can change your heart is Almighty God. And that's why we tell you about the way to be right with him. I had a, a baseball glove when I was a junior in high school. It was given to me by my parents, one of my favorite things in the entire world. But over the, over the years, it, uh, it's just like anything else that you use, it becomes worn. It became worn out, and this year for church softball, I got my glove out once again, and I looked at it, and I thought, if I try to catch with this thing, the ball's going to hit me square in the nose and break my nose. Because it, it had, it, instead of fulfilling its purpose, it had now become useless to the point of where there were strings broken and the web was broken. And so what it was actually meant to do, it would not be able to fulfill it. So what I did was I found a professional who completely restored it. A master craftsman who put it back together. And this is what I'm trying to communicate to each and every one of you today within the relationships that you exist within. If you want somebody to put your relationships back together, stop Googling self-help tips and go to the only one that can change your heart. God is the only one that can work on you from the inside out to, to lead you to yield, to help you understand there are times when you don't need to fight for stuff that doesn't matter. 
And God can switch you from being useless in a relationship to being useful, and that's everyday faith. Moment by moment, following the Spirit of God who is leading you away from yourself and towards the holy standard of God, which works in relationships for reconciliation and restoration. And this is what's happening here with Onesimus. He was being put back together, and when God put him back together, he put his relationships back together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Anyone who belongs to Jesus gets a new life. And what happened that changed this man from one who could not be counted on, from one who could not act right, from one who, who stole from someone instead of contributing to someone, what happened is, is that he became a new person once he reached the end of himself and called upon the Lord now to be the Lord of his life, his King and his Savior. You know, truth be told, this may be why someone is praying for you. Serious business. This may be why someone is praying for you. Yes, because they want you to be saved. They want you to bust heaven wide open when you die. But at the same time, you are not helping. You are hurting your relationships. You are hurting your family. You are hurting those who love you, those who don't want to quit on you. And maybe the reason why they're listing your name on a prayer request is yes, because they want you to be right with God, because they want you to be right with them. They want the relationship that they have with you that they value to be right. They want you to stop being useless and start being useful. You see, sometimes we think our life belongs to us and it don't affect anybody else. But let me tell you something. Your sin is like a wake in the water. It flows from your boat and it shakes those directly around you. And the answer in all this is not to run away from it. And the answer in all this is not to, to think about ending your life. And, and distancing yourself from everybody that you've hurt and keep on hurting, the answer to all this is to stop belonging to yourself and belong to another. And dedicate yourself, commit your life to God Almighty who has made a way for you to be reconciled to him and to be changed from the inside out. You see, before Onesimus answered only to himself, let's think about that for just a moment. Who do we answer to in our daily life because at one point in time, this man answered only to himself. He was accountable only to the way that he felt. He was accountable only to the way that he wanted. But now he belonged to Jesus. Let me make a real plain point. Real conversion, if you really got saved and you really have Jesus, real, real conversion is transformative. It will take you from the old to the new, to who you used to be, to who you are now, and who you are becoming in Christ. God can move you from the old to the new. God is the one that can make a difference for the things that matter. He can take one who is ruining relationships to one who helps them and makes everybody around them better. Now, as we previously stated, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And I said it again, we're going to finish up today talking about slavery as a social issue. But before we do that, let's discuss slavery as a spiritual issue. You see, Onesimus had a bigger problem than his situation. He had a bigger problem than being a slave to man. Onesimus was a slave to sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now that will help you think about yourself in a way you've never thought of before. Amen? And for Jesus said, I tell you the truth, 
Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. You see, our nature locks us into an obligation to please ourselves. In a manner of speaking, we are behind the bars of a selfish prison. I want to ask you a question as we think about that. Do you have sin or does sin have you? We've asked that before. Do you have sin or does sin have you? Your sin that you have now may be a result of a remaining sin nature, but if sin is a regular practice in your life that is without restraint, your sin has you. Make no mistake. Onesimus didn't wrong Philemon. Onesimus didn't steal from Philemon because he was a slave to Philemon. He wronged Philemon and he stole from Philemon because he was a slave to sin. It was not his situation that made him sin. He had a nature of sin that he gave way to his own desire. So just to be clear, if you're in sin and you admit it, you're not doing wrong because another is not doing what's right. Come on with that. Y'all hear that? Just to be clear, again, you're not doing wrong. You're not sinning because another one is being obedient. Or you're not doing wrong because another one's not doing right. Sometimes we will go before the Lord and be like, Lord, the reason I did it is because of, oh, no, 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 no. It's you and the Lord. Well, the reason I stole, the reason I cheated, the reason I lied, the reason I'm causing division, the reason I'm burning this place down, the reason that I'm a gossip, the reason that I'm doing all of these things is not because of me, oh, Lord. It's because of all of them. He was not a sinner because he was a slave. He was a slave because he's a sinner. And that's his greatest issue. And it's a spiritual issue. There were two men on a construction site. And these two men were taking a lunch break. And one of them looked inside of his lunch box and he said, Gosh, not baloney again. Not again. I can't believe it. I hate baloney. And this is the third time I've had it this week. And the other guy that's sitting beside him said, man, why don't you just ask your wife to make you something different? He replied, I don't have a wife. I made these things myself. <laughs> you see, we would like to think, I should have just forgotten the dad joke and went with that one. That one landed. We'd like to think, we'd like to think that someone else is making sin for us. We like to think that someone else is, is making us choose rebellion, making us choose discord and deception and hostility. But the truth is, is we're only serving it up to ourselves. Onesimus was a slave to sin. He would have been regardless of whether or not he had the situation that he was in. If the situation was different, it would have been a different sin. So when they met, Paul shared with him how to be free from himself. Listen to me. In your life, do you want to be free from the sin that so easily trips you up and drags you down and holds you there? Do you not want to, be, do not want to come to church on Sunday morning ready to worship instead of ready to bring your confessions? You can do that. Did you know that? Did you know that God can free you up in such a way that when you enter the church house, you're not coming in here with a list of sins ready to confess and under conviction for, but you are entering here ready to worship God because he's helping you get rid of them. Now, that's really true. When they met, Paul shared with him how to be free from himself. He shared the bad news of sin. The bad news of sin is that we've all got it from the pastor to the prisoner. The bad news of sin is that it separates us from God. 
I mean, that's the truth and the reality of what sin does and is. But the good news that Paul shared with Onesimus and the good news that many of us have believed is that Jesus has died for our sin to reconcile us back to God. And the great news is, is that Jesus arose from the grave to prove that he is the way, the truth, and the life for anyone who lives and believes in him. And if we would live and believe in Jesus, our lives will be set free from the dominance and the condemnation that is living within us. If we would live and believe in Jesus, our lives will be set free from the penalty and the power of sin. So that is the truth of God. It's true, it was true for Onesimus. It is true for us. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, if you are sick and tired of conviction, if you are sick and tired of powerlessness, in your life to make a difference or to, to be right in relationships and to walk with your head high that you are a child of God, turn from yourself, acknowledge your sin, and turn to God by believing in Jesus Christ. When you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, God comes into your life and the power of the Holy Spirit of God begins to change you. By faith today, take hold of that and go with it. Once Onesimus acknowledged his truth, this truth of God, and receive forgiveness from God, things begin to change. In his new right relationship with the Lord, he gained a family. Did you notice that in the Scripture? If you look there in the Scriptures, you will see and find words uh, like child and brother. He goes from being a slave to a son. He went from being the slave of Philemon to becoming a child of God. He had a father in the faith in the Apostle Paul once Paul led him to faith. And now he has a brother in the Lord in Philemon. That's what the Bible says. It's all right there in Scripture. You see, Jesus had something to say about this as well in John chapter 8, verse 35. A slave, this is what Jesus said, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Christians, Notice what is being taught to Onesimus. When you belong to God, please take hold of this for your personal life. When you belong to God, you are now under no obligation to your selfish nature. No longer do you have to do what your flesh is calling you to do. No longer do you have to give way to the way that you feel. No longer do you have to be a selfish, unreliable person who constantly lives by regret. You are now covered by the grace of God and empowered by his Holy Spirit. He had a father in the faith. He had a brother in the Lord. It's all right there again in Scripture. Now, what happens sometimes is that when we hear this truth, we still don't feel like we belong. We still don't feel like we'll, we'll come to church and, and people will say things like, yeah, but I'm not like you. And I'm like, you're exactly like me. I'm, I'm not like those folks that come to your church, man. I, they don't know what I've done. And, well, you don't know what they've done. I mean, can we just all admit today that we're all the same? Without God, we can do nothing. Without God, we're going to bust hell wide open. Without God, we can do nothing of eternal value. Before God, I was a sinner. Now I'm a saint, but only because of God. I mean, that's who we all are in here. And the thing is, is when God has saved us and changed us, no matter who you are, what's in your bank account, where you're from, where you live now, the things that you're into, the things that you're not into, whether you are slave or free, married, 
divorced, whether you are single, whatever state that you're in, when God saves you, he puts the lonely together in families. That's what the Bible says. God has put us all together to care for one another, to look after each other, to sharpen one another, to challenge one another, to correct each other, to be loving in all things that we do together for the glory of God and the good of man. So that's what God does with all of us. He puts us all together in the universal church out there and this local church right here. God puts the lonely together in families. And when you are freed from your sin, you are put into the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God is what we used to sing. In 2013, a 15-year-old foster child, a foster child who was born to a mother in jail, a foster child who was bounced from foster homes one to another, a foster child who had a history of anger, he literally and in reality stood before a congregation in Florida and he begged somebody to take him in. Get that picture because it really happened. He stood with a microphone before him and he said these words, I'll take anyone, old or young, dad or mom, black, white, purple, I don't care. He went on to say, I know God hasn't given up on me, so I'm not giving up either. This was an outcry for love. And from that outcry was an outpouring of love from the community and from the church. And a short time later, listen to this, he was officially adopted by his caseworker, the one who helped him took him in and put him together with the family. God wants you. You hear that? God wants you. It's not about just placing a label of forgiveness on you. God wants to bring you in to the place that is part of a new family. He wants to bring you into the living room. He wants to love on you and correct you and care for you. He wants to teach you. He wants you to be loved, and he wants you to love within this family. You are not a sum total of the wrongs in your life. You are not. You are not defined by the sin that God has forgiven you of and freed you from. You are a child of God by the grace of God, and you are a brother in Christ. And it's important that we see each other that way because that was one of the whole points from Paul to Philemon. Don't you welcome him back as a slave because he's not a slave. This is your brother. There are people, y'all, seriously, there are people that are not here today, and there are people that may never darken the doors of this church. Because they see you on the outside, and whether you think this or not, they think they know everything about me. There's no way that I can come in there. If we're honest, have we not all felt that way before? Like when we just absolutely blown it. We've made a terrible decision. Have we not all felt like I can't go in there? Because every single person in there, whether they know what I've done or not, is going to make me feel that way. But see, that's, what the, that's the whole point. God puts broken people back together with each other because they all realize their brokenness before. You are not the sum total of the wrongs in your past. You may not feel like you have a promised future, but if you have made room for the truth of God in your hearts, you are in. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And no one should treat you any different. Amen? Now, this is the part we want to take the rest of our time with. 
there is this issue of slavery found in Philemon. This is a social issue. Verse 16 says, He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. He's making the distinction that because he has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, just like you, Philemon, he's no longer a slave. He's a, a brother. Now, we've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks, but I think it's important that we talk through this. Onesimus was a slave to a man of Christian reputation. I mean, what do we do with that? Slavery in the ancient world was both and. Yes, it was evil and barbaric, but in other situations, it was actually respectable and privileged. This is why it's important when you study the Bible and study it. Because when you look at the context in the ancient world, history in many situations was very much like American history, but in other situations it was very much not like American history. Some slaves were deprived. Some slaves were well cared for. Regardless, slavery is never ideal. And once again, while God allowed slavery, he certainly did not organize it. This is a social issue. If there's anything at all that we face when we look at our phones for a source of news each day, it is the issue of social issues. There are things up between people that cause division, and we will always have social issues that are relative to sin because people are involved. Amen? When social issues arise, there are usually two approaches to fixing it. On the evangelical side, and not all evangelicals, but on one side, one approach suggests just preach the gospel. Evangelize the lost. That's all we need to do is preach the gospel. Well, listen, this is certainly not wrong because the sources of social, uh, social issues, of social divisions, the sources of those things like racism and slavery and poverty and bullying and crime and violence and discrimination, these are part of why we need redemption anyway. So yes, preach the gospel. And yes, evangelize the lost. So to preach the gospel is to approach the issue at the root, not the shoot, of the heart of the matter. And it's a right approach for sure. But it's also one that you have to be careful about because we will simply say that what the world needs is Jesus and the cross. And then after that communication, we'll just delegate it to others and we'll begin to withdraw from the darkness that we're actually supposed to light up in this world. Preacher, just preach to the lost, all right? Amen. Let's get over here. Don't want to deal with that. What they need is the cross. Amen. And what they need is the cross from all of us. Hey, if we really want the culture and community to change, stop delegating the, the principle of evangelism to people you think ought to be doing it. That is a responsibility for every Christian to go and make disciples. And to do that, is, it, it assumes evangelism. So, so what I'm not, part of what I am saying is that sometimes when we see these things on the news, either do something about it or hush. Either reach and love your neighbor or hush. Sometimes it can work against. The message of Jesus, listen to this, the message of Jesus calls forward the saint towards ministry of reconciliation of one to God. It calls forward us to work for the reconciliation. We are ambassadors, the Bible says in Corinthians. 
for his glory and for the good of man. That's one approach to fixing social issues is just preach the gospel. Well, another approach suggests this. Pronounce the wrong and empower the deprived. Pronounce the wrong out loud and empower the deprived. And this approach has merit. Had more Christians in the history of our nation considered the teaching of the entire Bible instead of teaching a, the teachings of a few ministers that were just worried about their money, then we would be fine. I don't know that we would be fine, but we would be better off. Listen to this. I've read historical report of a Baptist minister in the early 1800s who whipped a slave to death, to death, after he suspected that he stole $60 from him. About two days later, the minister's wife found the $60. The Baptist minister goes to trial, and the jury finds him not guilty. Now, church, what would we do about that? Seriously, what would we do about that? Well, I, I guess we just got to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord? How about representing the Lord? Yes, we need to stand for what's wrong. Stand up against what's wrong and stand for right. Good gracious. Just trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. It's wrong. Hey, no, 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 jury. That's not right. He killed him, and now you're trying to cover for him. I think that's called murder. You see, there, there are times when just trust the Lord and preacher just go minister to him. Hey, that's not enough. So think about what we would do for any to think, for any to think that God would institute something like this is reading a different Bible than I'm reading. The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit of God is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That is what comes out of the spirit of one who has the spirit inside of them. The Bible says in Proverbs 31.8, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Y'all being poor and helpless is not a sin. Again, this approach has merit. But it can also be mismanaged. Just call out the wrong and empower those who are deprived. Well, this can also be mismanaged within the context of social issues. The scripture says the good news about Jesus Christ is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The gospel is the power of God in the world. So you cannot just fix social problems and leave out the gospel. Otherwise, it won't be fixed for real. To focus only on social issues without salvation is to avoid the power of God. It's to avoid spiritual matters. It's to avoid eternal matters and the eternal and glorifying purpose for which Christ came. Furthermore, those who focus on pronouncing the wrong and empowering the deprived can often find themselves clearly defending what is clearly sin. Those who would take this up sometimes will defend those who are deprived, even if those who are deprived are in sin. Well, that's not right either. Sometimes they would find themselves defending what is clearly rebellion against God just because those folks are in the minority. 
Some protest for social change without giving thought to issues of sin, and make no mistake, the gospel is going to call that sin out. The message of Jesus calls out the sinner. Again, being poor and helpless is not a sin. But some of the things people defend are called out in Scripture as rebellion. And for the sake of the takeaway, you can write this down. Jesus calls out the sinner and calls forward the saint. You see, there's a balance between those things as we respond to social issues. I would suggest to you the Scripture will lead the Christian to preach the gospel and uphold the truth of God while calling out the wrong and defending the deprived. It's a delicate balance of both. Jesus came to earth to ultimately die so that men may be reconciled to God. Amen? That's why Jesus came to live, die, and rise again. But did Jesus not help the leper? Did Jesus not minister to the poor and to the needy? The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel. He also collected funds for the poor. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 says, We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. So what does Paul do with Philemon here? What does he do in this situation? Share the gospel, or does he pronounce the wrong and empower the deprived? What does he do in this situation? Well, I believe that he does absolutely both of those things. How so? We know in verse 10, we know that Onesimus has become a child in the faith, which means that he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ because he knew that he was not just a slave, he was a slave to sin. And the problem with his uselessness was not that he just wasn't any count, it's because he didn't know his creator. Because he was wrong from, from, from the right relationship that he needed. And so yes, he evangelized him, but we also know that Philemon challenged to, that Philemon was challenged to welcome him, not just as a slave, but as a brother. So what is he doing? He is empowering the deprived. Philemon, I'm not going to send him back to you and him coming there like you think he used to be. This is your brother in Christ now. He, he has rights. He is a, the, the scripture actually calls him, if you look right there in verse 16, watch how he's working for social change within the context of gospel conversion. He says, now he will mean much more to you, listen to this part, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Not cattle, not an animal, not something that you feel is worthless. I'm sending a grown man back to you who's a brother in the Lord. Don't see him any other way. Is this not both a material and non-material approach to reconciliation? Does it not appeal both to the spiritual and to the physical? Hang with me. We said earlier that the message of Jesus calls out the sinner and calls for the saint. And in this world, this often puts us in Christian conflict. We see things and we go, how do we help? Because this can't be right. How can the saint love for those who profoundly live in sin yet require equality in it? How can the church take part in governing reform that ignores root issues and the need for spiritual restoration? How do we live and work within those? Well, maybe the everyday faith message here is that when it comes to spiritual issues or when it comes to social issues, listen to this because it's very important. Scripture speaks to the individuals that adds to the culture. When it comes to social issues, Scripture speaks to the individuals that add to the culture. Now, I hope this connects. Yesterday, Lord help us, we were in Auburn for that win. 
And I'm wearing orange and blue because maybe the last time I get to wear it on Sunday this year. <laughs> but while we were there and the game was over, I turn around and I'm about to leave and then I notice our trash. And everybody there knows, hey, pick up after yourself. Is there not any person in this room that doesn't know that, that's not been taught that? Like, pick up after yourself. And there's another school of thought that goes, well, there are people that pay to do that. Good gracious. So I thought to myself, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick this stuff up and take it to the trash because maybe those around me and my own son will see this and he'll start to do the same thing. Now, I can get a megaphone and go, everybody needs to pick up y'all's trash. <laughs> but I think as God has worked on my heart, telling me that Jesus came not to be served, but be a servant, that as he has gotten to me individually, I can individually make a difference as God has gotten to me within the context of those who are around me and within the influence that I have. Scripture speaks that individuals add change to the culture. And when individuals submit to God, listen to this, when collective individuals who are like-minded and who follow Jesus, when they submit themselves to God in all things, culture changes. Culture changes. And individuals will want to submit to God because the gospel changes their hearts. We'll want to do those things. My conclusion is this. God's Spirit, and I love this, so please hear me. My conclusion in all of this in Philemon with the issue, the social issue of slavery, is that God's Spirit is leading the slave owner towards freeing the slave, and he is leading the Spirit by the Spirit to lead the slave towards serving his master well. I really do believe that. And what happens when both yield to that, which is what you'll see in Ephesians, when both yield to being selfless towards another, it is a beautiful relationship. The challenge for the church is to share the gospel. The challenge for the church is to stand for right. The challenge to the church is to pronounce the wrong. The challenge to the church is to help the helpless. And, but we get to that and we're so, so overwhelming. Can that be done? Listen to this. In the Roman Empire, no fewer than 175 days of the year were given unto violence, unto death at the gladiator games. Half of the calendar given to violence. Leaders presided over the games. And they presided over the lives of people like they were gods themselves. And they thumbs up to keep him alive, thumbs down to go on and kill him type stuff. And during this time, the teachings of Jesus begin to spread. And they were actually making a difference to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. As the message of Jesus began to spread, compassion for the weak and mercy for the defeated, it became respectable in the community. And Christian thinkers at the same time, while there was grace being shown to others, Christian thinkers and authors and writers, they were unanimous in denouncing the violence. They were calling out the sin. Leaders like Augustine spoke uh, against the gladiator games. He called them cruel and bloodthirsty. History teaches that Christians condemn the games while reaching the gamers. You hear me? It is a historical fact that Christianity, both the spread of the gospel and the stance against wrong and the defenseless, changed an entire empire. Study it. That is the truth. That the influence of the church and those who refused to sit down when they needed to stand up and those who refused 
to, to sit on the sidelines but actually share the gospel and help people, it changed an entire powerful empire. So church, if we want to see change in our lifetime, change in everyday faith within the nation in which we live, Yes, stand against wrong. Yes, practice what is right. Yes, share the gospel. And yes, support the weak. Word of the God. Word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Lord, this is your word. We see a responsibility within our relationships to be useful. But, Lord, but only you can change us. God, some of us need to be changed this morning, Lord. If there's a working in heart and mind away from themselves and towards you, I ask, oh God, in the name of Jesus, that they would simply call upon your name and seriously turn from themselves. Lord, help us to realize today that if we are in sin without restraint, that we are a slave to it. And we need freedom. And that freedom doesn't come by us working harder at it to be better, to be good. No, that freedom comes from your grace, your unmerited favor, your gift to us that we should receive. And that grace was paid for by the truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins and the reconciliation of God. So Lord, I pray, O oh Lord, that we would all acknowledge who we are and who we are not and who we need to be. Lord, if there be one or many in here today that needs to take a next step of faithfulness to the church, that needs to take a next step of obedience in their walk with you, to be baptized, to, to begin to serve, to begin to give, to begin to live in the community as you are in their heart. Lord, if there be one that needs to simply and seriously call upon your name to be saved today, they would do it. Lord, that they would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. And Lord, as we are just individuals contributing to this community that we live in, help us to take responsibility of being a follower of Jesus Christ in this world. Not just concerned with our own forgiveness, but concerned about your glory on this earth and how it works together for good. Lord, wherever we are weak, make us stronger. And wherever we are strong, keep us humble. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you today. If you'd like to come and pray, if you want to come and pray for yourself, come and pray for others. If, if you need to, to deal with something that you're wrestling with, we have pastors here, we have decision counselors here. This is one of the most important times in our services, the response time. So, so please, if you're not coming to the altar, maybe drop your head and pray for someone. Pray over someone. Or maybe it's time for you to respond for the first time in a long time with worship. Amen? Altar's open for you. We're here to help.